Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance and save by bundling auto and home. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it is Artificial Turf Wars episode. I like digging holes and number 94. Where we've got more diamond information than De Beers and more previews than Cineplex Odeon. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka for our special break of our regular format, where we go through all 25 men on the roster, plus one guy who's on the bubble, probably. And uh, we do that in just 50 minutes. Sounds impossible, but it's not. We've done it before. We're going to do it again for you. Hold on to your seats. Josh, how are you feeling tonight? I'm good, and you? I'm excellent. I'm always excited for this episode. And uh, Nick, this is your first run at the 25 and 50. Are you psyched? Are you ready? Oh, I am ready as I'll ever be. This is the last night uh, without baseball for about six months, so let's let's do this. And tomorrow- Just for the record, the reason that Greg is so excited about this episode and looks forward to it because he doesn't have to do any prep. Yep. <laughs> read a list of names that's probably (laughs) that's kind of up my alley when you think about all the things i do around here (laughs) all right josh just for that i'm gonna make you start us off you have two minutes to introduce the incomparable luke melee yeah we're starting off with the the big guns right here Luke Maley is a six foot three 225 pound catcher that's right-handed throws right-handed 27 years old so Luke Maley needs to be better than he was last year, essentially. That's what he, you know, he 407 OPS was the worst in Blue Jays history for anyone who got 130 plate appearances like he did. And it was the worst by a wide margin. The, the upside is that the Jays do have some backups in AAA in Jansen and McGuire. But as long as Maley is, hits like he did in 2016 with a 613 OPS, with his defense, that's at least passable as long as Martin stays healthy. I do wonder, how did they hand him over 100 at-bats last year when he was, frankly, a black hole with the bat? Well, to, to be fair, Greg, they sure tried to give those at-bats to other people. <laughs> like they're, they're, I, I know it feels like a million years ago now with the season starting tomorrow, but, I mean, there was Jared Saltalamacchia, Miguel Montero. Um, who else am I forgetting here? Mike Ullman, Rafi Lopez. Ullman. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, so th- they they tried their best to to spread those at bats around, but just it was it was like a hot potato. Nobody wanted to to take the job. I felt like they were like two for forty five at some point between all the backup catchers, and I was just like, okay, I know we're deep they made in the us depth actually chart. miss Josh Tolley, which is something. Well, and our bet last year in this very episode of the podcast was, 
at least we don't have to watch Josh Tole face a lefty face <laughs> tough lefties. And and that it didn't help. Nothing nothing that happened in 2017 helped us think that Josh Tole was was really, you know, it was good that he was gone. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> no. So hopefully by the middle of uh 2018 we won't be talking about uh the problems with anybody who's a backup catcher. That would be sweet. So we are done with the backup catcher. We are out of time for him. We move on. Nick, tell us about the uh, front-up catcher. All right. Uh, so the Jays' starting catcher projects to be Russell Martin. He's five foot ten and two hundred and five pounds, and he will play this year at age thirty-five. So uh, Martin is a pretty good starting catcher. I mean, we all know about his pitch framing, how he works with the staff, and between that and his kind of patience as the plate. Even it makes him an above average hitting catcher too, even though as he's kind of aged into his mid thirties, his average is starting to drop kind of like closer to two twenty than than two fifty. Um so I think Martin's a great bet to to pencil in as long as he's healthy for kind of like a uh two thirty, three forty, four twenty slash line and with again great great pitch framing uh skills. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the drop in his batting average it's amazing that he still gets on base and hits for the power he does because his strikeouts the last two years have gone through the roof you know, his previous career high was 108 and then two years ago struck out 148 times in about the same number of plate appearances so he's definitely changing his skills along with this you know the whole league is essentially doing that but as long as he keeps hitting for power and keeps drawing walks he's still going to be a really useful player this yeah. is the back end of Russell Martin's contract, which I think we have to sort of give him a little bit of a of a not a pass, but an acknowledgement that he was he was brought in to be productive in those first two seasons, and then you hope you get something out of the last three that pays you know good value for the contract. And I think so far, other than uh, having too much injury time, when he's actually on the field, he's still the productive player you would hope for on on an, a big contract. Yeah, the Jays are lucky that way. They, you know, he's a 35-year-old catcher, as Nick said, and he still looks like he can play the position and still play it a decent amount. And the thing that's nice, though, like I mentioned with Maley, if partway through the year it looks like Martin is basically done, at least the Jays finally have someone in, the, in AAA who looks like he can take over as a ready-made catcher, regular guy in Danny Jensen. All right, here we go. Moving on from Russell Martin, we go to the infield, which is a bit of a jumble this year because a certain person isn't going to get mentioned. Aledmus Diaz is who we're going to lead off with. Bats right, throws right, six foot one, 195 pounds. I have a feeling that's a little bit of an exaggeration on the weight. Um, he's 27 years old, so he is not by any any stretch a a rookie prospect or anything, But but he has had... A little bit of success one year in St. Louis and then not so much success at all uh, in his last year. So he was, I guess he was an expendable sort of player for St. Louis, which is cool because the Blue Jays, as we know, are looking for someone who can play kind of all around the infield. Josh, you are not 100% convinced that he's going to be able to play shortstop, but we might find him there. Well, I mean, that's another guy we're going to get to later that I'm more concerned about his ability to play shortstop yeah i mean diaz is fine at short he's not good necessarily but he's not bad and and as long as he can handle it and as as a mediocre shortstop and hit anything close to what he did in 2016 that's a pretty good player 
if he hits like he did last year, it's a guy who's, you know, not good enough to play every day. So he needs to at least be somewhere in the middle of those two things. Um, in defense of Diaz, the shortstop, uh, I know earlier in the offseason, I was listening to, I think it was a, an At The Letters podcast, and one of the St. Louis beat writers was on, and he was talking about how he thinks that Diaz's shoulder injuries last year were hurting his defense. So there's at least a little bit of hope that he could potentially uh, improve somewhat from from the player he was last year defensively. Uh, the, well, yeah, the player he was last year wasn't playable. Five seconds. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There's your thought. Oh, you're up next, Josh. So I went from the worst player on the roster to the best ones, which is nice for me. Josh Donaldson, six foot one, two ten. I had to give. Year old. I had to give Josh. Josh. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Because Tolly's gone. I get Donaldson this time. Yep. Uh, he's the guy that will really, among the hitters at least, determine how far this team goes. If Josh Donaldson can stay on the field, which he has for every year prior to last year, and produce at anything close to the level he's been producing at, then the Jays will be in really good shape offensively. The issue last year is he got off to a really slow start and was hurt. So by the time he started hitting, which was basically around the all-star break, the team was already so far down the hole that it, they really couldn't make it up. And so he needs to perform, and then, you know, depending on how the team does, we'll see how long he's actually on the roster. It is worth noting that Josh Donaldson, when he is hitting, does have moments where he is an out-of-this-world man-on-fire hitter, and I don't think there's anybody else on the roster who we've seen do that for for a week or two weeks or three weeks like JD. So he really does stand head and shoulders above everyone else with the bat. Um, I know... The offseason, there's been a lot of talk about raising the floor and in in the Blue Jays front office, but Donaldson really is the only player, I think, on this roster that is capable of being a five or six win player. And so I think it is important to know that the Jays are going to go as Josh Donaldson goes. If he can't be that five or six win player, it's going to be hard for them to contend, I think, for the wild card, just, uh, just based on the rest of the, the, the team around him. Indeed. I actually right. think he needs to be more than a five or six win player for them to contend. He needs to be a seven or eight win player that he has been 2015, 2016. We shall see. Nick, tell us about our DH. Right. So uh, the person who's generously in a, listed as an infielder on this spreadsheet is Kendris Morales. He's a switch hitter who throws right handed and he's listed at six foot one and again, generously 225 pounds. <laughs> He'll be. Hey, he playing... lost some weight. Did he? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he looks slimmer. Uh, yeah. It's okay. just the glasses. It's just the glasses. Um, and he's playing this year at age 34. So uh, Morales' best season in, in his last few was 2015, when he hit 290 with a 45 slugging percentage. Um, that's something that I would take from him. I think that would be a, a great season. Uh, but I feel at, at this point in his career, that might be a little bit wishful thinking. Um, and... I'd expect more of the same as last year, which is not not a bad player, but it's not a particularly useful one, just given his inability to contribute on defense or on the bases. Uh, we, you and I have definitely talked about this before, but I'm yeah. not nearly as pessimistic on him, simply because last year was easily the worst season of his career when it, it, of all the seasons where he stayed healthy and played a full season. And... So while I'm with you, I don't think he's going to hit like 2015 in Kansas City again. That was one of his best seasons in the last 10 years. If they get 2016 Kansas City, 
you know, with the 468 slugging, 327 on base, 30 bombs, you know, translated to the Rogers Center, I think that's a pretty good year and a lot better than what he did last year. And I think it's reasonable to expect he'll at least get closer to that than last year's numbers. I think there would be a lot less complaining about Kendrick Morales if his numbers were exactly the same, but he appeared to be getting down the line, not in s- being filmed in slow motion. That <laughs> I think the optics of, of how he looks on the ball field hurt the way Blue Jays fans probably feel about him because he could be, you know, a useful piece overall. I don't think I don't think he's that far from being useful, as expensive as he is for what you get. I guess I just think as the league has become oh. more of like a powered focused league. Oh, did we go over? We're out of time. Uh, sorry. We're going to we're going to move on. I this is the the merciless part of the 25 and 50. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> uh Gift Ngope, which I think it's best name on the roster. You can't argue with that, right? No, I don't think so. Uh he is 28 years old, 5 foot 8, 200 pounds, bats right, throws right, and surprisingly, somewhat, perhaps, he made the opening day roster. Uh, he really does not have much of a major league track re- record. Uh, he picked up 54 plate appearances um, with the Pirates last year. Uh, he batted all of 222, 323 OBP. He is a slap-hitting backup who can play shortstop and because Troy Tulowitzki is not on this roster that's what they need yeah I'm still shocked I thought for sure Danny Espinosa was going to get this job because at least he has the potential to hit Gifton Gope has not hit at any level of professional baseball and this spring he hit 152 with a 291 on base and a 283 slugging and 19 strikeouts in 25 games I mean none of those things is good he's a very good defensive shortstop but Espinosa is just as good as he is. So I'm guessing it's all about the 40-man spot because other than that, it's baffling. I think this is an important time to point out that no one's third string, string shortstop is particularly great. Um, and I know it's probably not super exciting to see uh, Nagope on the roster, but that's kind of par for the course in terms of, like if your main shortstop is hurt, and, and then your backup gets hurt. Like, this is the kind of player I think you're, you're looking at, regardless of if you're the deepest team in baseball, I think this is, this is what you're going to be seeing. But, but Espinosa is better, and he's on the scene. <laughs> Logic, never a strong suit in the front office. But we must move on. To Justin Smoke. Switch hitter, 6'4", 220. That's also probably generous. But he's going to play... <laughs> Most of the year at 32, but he's 31 at the moment. He's one, he's the other guy. I got I get the two key guys that in this lineup. Justin Smoke somehow had a career year, and the Jays still finished dead last in in the offense in the American League. Which if you predicted that before the year, no one would have believed you. He's nope. a guy that needs is being counted on to still produce at the level close to what he did last year, and he's never done anything close to that before. He did make some changes that I believe in, and we posted about that on our site. But there's a lot of risk here. Yeah, I think Justin Smoke is is probably the offensive player with kind of the, aside from Josh Donaldson, the best profile. He can hit for power. He's patient. And as of 2017, he was able to hit for a decent average and, and make contact at a decent rate. Um, I don't see anybody else on the roster who could do 
all three of those things the way Smoke can. Um, but again, last year was the first time he wasn't striking out, uh, you know, upwards of 22% of the time in the major leagues. So I think if, if things are going well for the Jays, Smoke's their, their second best hitter. Um, yeah, once upon a time, Adam Lynn had a career year too, and so did Aaron Hill. And it's tough the year after the career year to bet on anything close to the career year. So frankly, if there's one player I'm scared about regression back to, you know, what Justin Smoke was, and I know he made those adjustments, don't get me wrong, but the the only direction for Justin Smoke to go is back towards pumpkin, and that is frightening. I don't think there's there's any way he gets any better than he was last year. If he uh, if he is able to maintain those changes, I mean he's got to be close to best contract in baseball. Yeah, oh, for sure. Okay, Nick, another another right. candidate for best name on the roster. <laughs> yes, so that candidate is Yungarvis Solarte. Jan Hervis. Jan Hervis Solarte, a switch hitter who throws right-handed. He's listed at five eleven and two hundred and five pounds, and he'll play this year at age thirty. Um, so yeah, Yungarvis Solarte is another uh, raise the floor acquisition that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro made uh, this offseason. And I'm going to give uh, a controversial opinion here. I'm going to say that the, the best Jays team is the one where they find a way to have Solarte play close to every day. And I think even if that means putting him at shortstop a couple times a week, say when Estrada is pitching or something like that. Um, yeah, Solarte is a decent hitter. He doesn't strike out too much. Hits for a little bit of power, not a ton. You know, expect him to slug somewhere between 430 and 460. Um, and he gets on base at a kind of league average clip. Uh, so I'm excited about Solarte, and I'd like to see him in the lineup every day, even if it's at the expense of the team's defense. I think there's a lot to ask for Solarte for that to be good enough. I mean, he wasn't that good a hitter last year. He's the previous years he was better than that. So I'm not saying that last year's his norm, but last year he hit 255 with a 314 on base and a 416 slugging. That's Kendris Morales numbers, who we just complained about from his offense. So right. I, I think that Solarte needs to rebound in order to be the guy you want playing every day. But the good thing about him is that he can because of the versatility you talked about. So he's here to give guys days off. And with Travis. And if Tulowitzki ever is not dead, and Josh Donaldson, and even potentially in the outfield, there's a lot of guys that need breathers. So he's a very useful guy to have on the roster. Yeah, I, I would keep in mind too, uh, a shortstop or a second baseman with Kendrys Morales' slash line is very different than a DH with his slash line. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if you're talking about him as you want him playing every day, no matter what, right? well, then he's got a hit. He can't just be a good for a middle infielder. All right. Moving right along, I'm going to tell you that Devin Travis... He's five foot nine. Sure, he is. Uh, one hundred ninety pounds, <laughs> and currently twenty seven years of age. Devin Travis. Uh, what? What don't we know about Devin Travis? We know when he is good, he is very, very good, and when he is healthy, he is generally good. Uh, provided he's had, you know, a fair amount to, that what you might consider of his own spring training. When he's just thrown back in the lineup, he does take a little while to get warmed up, but he is a. A very good hitter for a middle infielder. And the Blue Jays simply need a Devin Travis quality player on the field more often than not. So they seem to be ag aggressively trying to keep him on the field by taking him off the field on a regular basis, which 
I don't know how well that that strategy works. Like how easy it is to schedule a guy with days off when there are important games always seeming to be around the corner. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because, you know, we just mentioned Solarte, who is at least a very, very capable guy to slot in there when you need to give Travis a day. But if Travis hits the way we think he can hit and he's showing no ill effects of his injury, how do you take that guy out of the lineup? It's going to be really hard, especially as it gets into the the dog days of summer and these pennant races start heating up if the Jays are in it. 25 seconds, Nick. Yeah, I, I think... Travis, it's it's just about the health. I think if if he's healthy enough to play, you you have to keep him in there because he's one of the top the top bats on the team. Um, and yeah, I think it's as simple as that. He's got to play if he's healthy. Next, all right. So we're shifting our gaze now to the outfield with newest acquisition, the elder statesman on the roster, Curtis Granderson, the left-handed hitting, right-handed throwing, six foot one, two hundred pound, thirty-seven year old. Yeah, <laughs> this was a move that surprised a lot of people. You know, the Jays were, we didn't know what they were going to go for. We knew they were going to get an outfielder. And then they signed Curtis Granderson, who's you know, 37. Still a good pickup. He can still play left field really well. He can't throw, but, you know, left field, you don't need to throw that well. And he hits righties. He takes walks and he hits home runs. The only thing that separates him from being the good de- defensive, good base running version of Justin Smoke la- last year is that he doesn't hit for average at all anymore. But he's, I think he's a really good guy to have in that platoon. I feel like if you're going to have a 37-year-old outfielder, I would, at this point, rather have Curtis Granderson than Jose Bautista. If, you know, for various reasons. One, Jose didn't seem to have anything left in the tank. But also, you can put Curtis Granderson in left field and you can play whatever guy you, you've got in right field and not worry about uh, you know hurting his feelings. Yeah, but also, I mean, defensively with him in the outfield and the two guys we're about to get to this could be a really good defensive group which was a big problem last year especially when it was Pierce and Bautista in the corners yeah Kevin Pilar can only run so far (laughs) right thoughts Nick well um yeah I think Granderson's just one of those guys that he's kind of a joy to have on the team regardless of his performance um just to kind of do the counterpoint uh Granderson did struggle down the stretch with the Dodgers and because he is 37, uh, you know, it wouldn't be completely out of left field if he did kind of see his skills recede even more uh, this season. But, you know, again, that's just to, to try to give the other side of the coin. Ultimately, I think it's a low risk pickup and he's just like such a, a beloved player that it's, it's really nice to have him on this roster and, and he could be very useful too. And Nick, if he sucks, they cut him. Five Nick million bucks. used a out-of-left-field pun while describing the left fielder. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm still going to let you take the next player, Nick. All right. So uh, the next player is another former St. Louis Cardinal. It's Randall Grichuk. He bats and throws right-handed. He's listed at six foot one and 205 pounds. He does not look only five pounds heavier than Curtis Granderson. No. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's going to play this year at 26. And uh, just to kind of jump off what Josh was saying uh, about in the Granderson bit about defense is uh, Grishek's probably most known for his kind of like hard contact hitting ways. Uh, He hits the ball really hard. He also swings and misses a lot and doesn't walk very often. Um, So there's the potential that 
he could uh, he could improve. Uh, it seems like the Jays are buying pretty hard into the hard contact revolution. Um, and so that's that's Grishik on the offensive side of the ball. There's you know a lot of hope that he could hit 30, 35 home runs this year. But defensively, I think is where it's more interesting because he's graded out as a decent defensive center fielder. He's not going to play in center field, but he's graded out as an even better right fielder. Um, so there's some versatility in his defensive profile, and it's again one that should help the Jays be a lot better than they were last year in the outfield. Yeah, I mean, even with his struggles last year well more so the year before actually he was still a 2.7 win player by baseball reference and 2.2 by fan graphs because of that defense you're talking about so the floor which we keep talking about the raising of the floor his floor is still as a very useful regular player with upside for a lot more if he hits anything close to what he did say in 2015 right and you know a, a new situation where he gets to play every day and you know the trust in a different ballpark a lot of things could go well there's obviously the downside you mentioned with his strikeouts and his not walking, but there's upside here for at least a very useful hitter, especially if he's lower in the order. All right. We're going to go to the other side of that left field potential platoon, Steve Pierce. Mr. Pierce is back, much to my happiness, because now I can use the same jokes I used last year. Uh, he is oh. five, five foot 11, <laughs> 200 pounds, and 33 years old. We know Steve Pierce hits lefties. Uh, he's of limited defensive usefulness out in left field. But again, uh, with some of that flexibility that you've created by adding a Grichuk and Granderson and knowing that you've got in, in the minors, you've got some guys who are defensively gifted. Uh, you can afford to put Steve out there and, and take that hit. If, if he is as zeroed in and uh, stays healthy as he is on, on, on the side of the platoon, I think he's a very useful player. Yeah. And the fun thing about the defense, too, the biggest difference between this year and last year is you can hide Pierce a li little bit more if you because you've got Pilar in center. And if Grichuk is in right, the two of them can cover a lot more ground than if Bautista was in right. So where Pilar had to play almost right up the middle. So I think that could help a lot because he is not a good outfielder. He really doesn't, has no business being in the outfield, but he can hit. And as you mentioned, he hits lefties and he's done that for his entire career, except last year randomly. So as long as he can stay on the field he should still be a really useful player. And if he can't, they can just call up to Oscar Hernandez and do the same thing. Yeah, I think now is just a good time to to point this out because uh, we are just going over the the players on the 25-man. But outfield is where I think the team is pretty deep in terms of their, their minor league uh, depth because they have T. Oscar Hernandez. They have Anthony Alford, who should be back from an injury in a couple of weeks, and Dalton Pompey and, and Dwight Smith Jr. So if, if Pierce does falter, he's probably not long for the lineup given some of the options the Jays have knocking at the door in the minors. So uh, I turn it over to you, Josh, to tell us about the longest tenured Blue Jay in the outfield. And potentially not for long. Uh, you know, we don't really know there. Like, it's not even wishful thinking. I think this will be his last shot at holding on the regular job. Kevin Pillar, six feet, 205 pounds, 29 year old center fielder. And, you know, his defense slipped last year from all the stat cast metrics. He was essentially average. He makes the highlight play. He's very good at catching the ball when he gets to it, which is underrated, especially when we've seen Ezekiel Carrera for the last few years. But if he doesn't rebound there and gain even a little bit on the offensive side, I think we could see a situation where either Alford takes over in center field or Gritchick shifts to center and Heather Hernandez plays right. 
So it's a very pivotal year for Mr. Kevin Pillar. Um, again, just to to take the the counter position for the sake of the podcast here, um, I think Statcast did consider him a very good defensive center fielder as recently as 2016. Yeah, so, that's what I was saying. It was last yeah. year his numbers went down, so he needs to rebound yeah. to that. Yeah, it, 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 so he might not be regressing as much as he just had a bad year. Um, and yeah. the other metrics didn't dislike him as much either. Like the, I think like DRS and UZR, they were still, um, they were still fairly high on him in 2017. Um, sure. But yeah, and I think ultimately what we're, what we're doing right now is we're, we are talking about his defense because we don't want to talk about, <laughs> or we don't want to be reminded about the, the the fact that Pilar as a hitter does have a few holes in his game, uh, barring some barring some improvements that he makes. He, he doesn't to, hit. Sorry. sorry I, we, yeah, I'm just going to say, like, you're talking about the defense thing. This would happen with Ryan Goins. Ryan Goins went from being a great defender to mm-hmm. a average defender, and the team had no more use for him. So as long as Kevin Pilar rebounds back to his normal defensive levels, they'll keep him. If not, as you mentioned, the holes in the offense are scary. I think what happens is Kevin Pillar has been the center fielder by default because there hasn't been anyone to play center field who is both healthy and capable. And all of a sudden, uh, there might be two or three other people who can do that. And Kevin Pillar is going to feel the pressure this season for sure. Right. Uh, we, we get to move to pitching. And it uh, looks here on the list like Nick gets to kick it off. Right. So the first pitcher on our list is uh, Marco Estrada. He's uh six foot and uh, weighs 180 pounds he bats and throws right-handed in case he needs to take the stick during interleague (laughs) and he will be 34 this year uh so last year was marco estrada's probably most up and down as a blue jay um he struggled in the middle of the season uh struggles that were at least in part related to some uh personal issues he said he was going through and uh maybe his inability to to release his change up the way he wanted to, he he mentioned that he was tipping it. Um, so those struggles led to a pretty bad, was it like an eight to 10 start stretch in the middle of the season um, that kind of skewed his numbers. And it was his first where he had an ERA over four. Um, if the, if he's able to correct that uh, he could, he could be in line for a, a nice uh, rebound campaign in 2018. But if you, you want to kind of look at it on a holistic level, you know, a lot of people will say that full season stats are more predictive than partial seasons, even with, you know, when you're accounting. I, I'm just going to say reasons. Josh is going to kill you because you're going to talk <laughs> the whole two minutes and not allow him to say anything about his favorite pitcher. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> well, I mean, just the thing that happened last year is that his. He lost his changeup, which Marco Estrada needs to have his changeup. And he, he and all of a sudden he started giving up hits after leading the league in hits per nine the previous two years. He was right around just worse than league average his strikeout and walk rates were the same still gave up a couple home runs not more but not many so as long as he gets back to having that pitch and having it be a deceptive one i still think we can count him to be good even if he's not three era but he shouldn't be nearly as bad as last year all right so we're gonna go to jaime garcia and i'll I'll be honest i i don't jaime garcia i know the name and i've known the name for a long time because you know he's 31 it's not like he's a you know breaking in rookie. He is the fifth starter, and not just I don't think uh, the fifth guy or whatever to take the ball. I, no, literally, he is the Jays' fifth starter. That's what they they brought him in for. That's the bar that he's trying to get to. If he's any better than that, it's bonus. But they brought him in to be a guy who could take the ball every fifth day at the back end of the rotation, which is 
precisely what the rotation was missing last year. And then, um, you know, with Aaron Sanchez's problems, it, it, it got worse by degrees from there. So, yeah, if he can be dependable and... I wouldn't even want to say average. Dependable and, and uh, predictable, that's what the Jays brought him in for. Yeah, he's a guy that, of all the other pitchers, is really going to be dependent on the defense you know, at second base and shortstop, especially because third and first, we kind of know what we're getting because he's one of the most extreme ground ball pitchers in the league, like a couple of these other guys, but doesn't miss many bats. So if he's got good defense behind him, I think he can be very solid as a number five. Like you said, ceiling is limited, but as long as he's solid, that's good. Nick doesn't have a strong opinion. That's, <laughs> oh, that's okay. no, 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 no. I, I wanted, I wanted to, I, I thought maybe cause we had, we were going long on a couple of the other guys, we could uh, trim something about Garcia, but no. Okay. Garcia, now, you've, now you've burned all yeah. the extra time you had. And all <laughs> two well done. That's, uh, that's going to be one of our highlights from this particular episode. Um, okay. J-Hap. J-Hap. Six foot five lefty, 205 pounds. I don't believe that one either. 35 years old. And, you know, he's been really good in the last couple of years. We, people may forget because he was hurt for a bunch of last season. He still came back and had a really good year. He pitched, he got a three five three ERA over the course of, I think it was 25 starts. He's good. He's turned himself into a completely different pitcher over the last three years. I think that despite his increasing age and the fact that he uses, you know, he, he still needs some batted ball help. He strikes out a decent number of guys and he's a solid number two, number three starter. And that's pretty useful when he's, despite being the opening day starter, he's the third number three guy on the team. Indeed. I, I've come to like J-Hap. The first go around, I didn't like him at all. I'll be, he was excruciating to watch. He was slow. He nibbled at the corners. Uh, his stuff on paper looked way better than it played out. He walked a lot of people, it seemed like. Uh, and he's he's learned to be better. So he's he's definitely probably the least exciting number two or three starter that I could think of in the league. But but certainly, I would take him in a heartbeat um, at, at his level over the last couple of years because that kind of consistency isn't easy to find. And I think if we're looking for reasons to be excited about his ability to pitch well into his late 30s, it's it's the fact that he does kind of generate his success from the the two fastballs that that look similar but but aren't similar, and so he's not as reliant on velocity as as some other uh, lefties are, and and hopefully that's a skill that ages well. Indeed. So I will it take is. it to Aaron Sanchez. Aaron right. Sanchez is. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm the Aaron it's Sanchez you. guy. It's Aaron you. Sanchez <laughs> is uh, a six foot four, two hundred fifteen pound right hander who will pitch this year at age twenty five. Um, everybody knows that Aaron Sanchez led the league in ERA in twenty sixteen and was barely able to get to fifty innings pitched in two thousand seventeen because of chronic blister issues that torpedoed his season. Um, so. Aaron Sanchez should go as far as his fingertips will allow him to in 2018. And he's obviously a big key. His health is a big key in the Jays team and rotation uh, being good this season. 
Yeah, the Jays are going looking for an ace again because in their last play season, they clearly didn't have one. And obviously, this is not the only place they might find an ace because we're only four members of the rotation deep and there's one coming up who thinks he is. Uh, but this is where I think management expects to find their number one starter. And Aaron Sanchez, when he's on, is an incredibly dominant pitcher uh, who uses a very limited number of pitches to get very, very good results as a starter. It remains to be seen if that's the approach he's going to take this year, but certainly we know being a league leader in ERA is not easy to do, and he's done it once. Yeah, I don't think there's much to add to that. (laughs) As mentioned, this... He's the pitcher version of Josh Donaldson in the sense of that he, the team will go as he goes. If, if he's great, the team will be in, in it. If he gets hurt or struggles, then they're in trouble. Indeed. We're getting under two minutes on some of these. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, and it's Aaron Sanchez. He's like, he's good. <laughs> there. Got it in three seconds. Marcus Stroman, right-handed, five foot eight ish 180 pounds, 26 years old. Marcus Stroman, for the past two seasons, has done pretty much exactly the same thing two seasons in a row, which is very good because he's logged a whole lot of innings doing it, and he's he's put up some decent numbers. But his actual peripherals uh, have given him two different sets of results, probably because of the defense that was playing behind him in those two years was not the same thing at all, and a bit of luck. Um, last year looked better than the year before, but ultimately Marcus Stroman has been consistent in his process up to this point. Marcus Stroman, I would love to tell you about how his offseason has gone, but I am unable to access any of his tweets, so I'm just going to assume his height still (laughs) does not measure his heart. Yeah, I don't know how true that one is, but he's he's talking about he wants to change his things, his approach a little bit this year to miss some more bats because I think he's finally realized how much luck plays in his success because, as you said, everything was the same except his ERA was a run and a half lower. That's it. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say given that, a, a fair expectation would be to kind of almost just split the difference. You know, don't expect a low three ZRA like 2017, but don't expect a mid four ZRA like 2016 either. Unless you know? he does make a change like that where he starts trying to miss some more bats, which he said he's going to. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see with that one. But the upside is really good because the stuff is so good. Can you miss more bats on command? He should tell Aaron Sanchez to miss some more bats too. If, if we're doing Man, Sanchez that. doesn't need to. No. Oh, all right. To the bullpen we travel. Johnny Axford. Is he Canadian? <laughs> yes, a Canadian boy. Six foot five, two twenty. He's probably bigger than that too. Thirty four, and he turns thirty five in like two days. So he's thirty five. He's an interesting guy because. With John Axford, like he's a he's a big time strikeout pitcher and a big velocity guy, which the Jays actually don't have much in their bullpen and haven't recently. You know, especially with Osuna losing his velocity last year. Axford still works around 96, 97, gets a lot of punch outs with his breaking balls, but he's completely changed his pitch mix over the last couple of years, going more with uh, sliders and curveballs and sinkers as opposed to the four seamer, which last year it didn't work so well, but the year before it led to his best season in years. So the range of outcomes for him is huge, but he had a great spring, so he'll at least get a, a chance early on. 
I think even when you adjust for the fact that he pitched 2015 in Colorado, his 2015 season was was quite good too. And um, oh, sorry, I meant to hit the last two years. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. Um, and beyond that, Axford is he's interesting in that he's been able to be effective even with really high walk rates in his career. Um, so don't let the walk scare you with him. It's it's kind of one of the uh, and the results of throwing so hard and having such nasty stuff. Uh, so he he could be he could be a a great weapon for the Jays, uh, especially like Josh was saying how a lot of the pitchers in the Jays bullpen don't throw as hard as as most other bullpens in the league. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to have a veteran back in the bullpen. I, I I wonder if he's there not just because he has stuff, but because you know sort of having that older statesman guy is something that people like on the roster or managers like on the roster. Um, especially if he can be an effective pitcher. Um, I'm curious to see how that goes. That moves us to the next member of the bullpen, though. All right. Uh, That's Tyler Clippard. Yeah. So Tyler Clippard is a 6'3 right-hander who weighs 200 pounds. He will pitch this year at age 33. Um, So one, like, interesting note is about this time last year, Clippard was pitching on Team USA with Marcus Stroman at the WBC. Um, and Clifford is another pitcher who doesn't get a lot of swings and misses or no, he does. He's, 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 yeah, he has tons. Very, yeah. Um, but his, his FIP has been, uh, his FIP has been like one of those things that he's been able to beat every year since 2012. Um, so he's, he's an interesting guy in that we're expecting maybe the results to start like his ERA to, to go up to match his, his, his FIP, but he just keeps beating it. So he, he must be doing something. He's got uh, one of those right. high rise fastballs. Same thing as Marco Estrada. He's, he's one of the elite fastball risers among relief pitchers at over 11 inches. And he realized when I spoke to him in spring training that he had stopped throwing four seamers for some reason last year. So he's making an intentional plan to correct that and get back to what he was doing, which made him so successful for the previous few years. See, now there, I believe you can make a conscious decision to miss bats if you had previously missed bats using a specific pitch seems <laughs> seems <Yeah>. easier <laughs> just, just stealing some time with this going back to stroman it was more just aiming for strikeouts more as opposed to just trying to get weak contact and ground balls it was more a, a an attempt thing not like i'm just going to get more strikeouts right yeah i just if if you know you have a swing and miss pitch um if, and you know how to go to it if you got a back foot slider that you can fool guys on i think that's you know or a high rising fastball whatever um if, if you've got that whiffy pitch i think it's easier to to figure out how to get to it to finish off at bats whereas stroman seems to have a lot of pitches i don't know if the, any of them are specifically swing and miss at the moment yeah. somehow that he interfered in tyler clipper pretty badly there but that's okay <laughs> maybe he's more interested than tyler. tyler go read my piece here lots of lots of information on tyler clipper there aaron loop is interesting probably in all the wrong ways i would have to say he is like the default lefty that they bring north every year uh he in 2015 he hit six guys in in 42 innings in um 2016 he hit three guys in 14 innings so then he he cleaned up his act a little bit in terms of hitting people only six in 57 innings last year but the problem is he keeps striking people out it's fine 10 strikeouts per nine last year 4.5 walks per nine Aaron Loop is more and more all over the place all the time and we're not sure why that crossfire delivery hasn't sort of 
come under control. So I'm a little nervous that Aaron Loop is the go-to lefty at the moment. Well, it's especially interesting because when he came up, he was an extreme command lefty. And then he started striking people out while still keeping the control except for 2014. And then last year, he just struck out more people than ever and walked more people by a long shot. So it's very hard to predict what the real Aaron Loop is. And that's, yeah, why I'm nervous. Um, I, I think if you do look at his kind of aggregate performance over the last couple of years, he's been serviceable. He, I, I, I mean, I'm not disagreeing that he hasn't fluctuated in performance, but uh, even, even with those fluctuations, he's been decent. I, th- I honestly think part of it is like we're comparing him to these new monster lefties like Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman, and he's not that, but... I don't think he's necessarily n- not worth a spot on the roster. He's probably a little bit better than than we'll give him credit for, just again, because of all the, the hit batters and the slight fluctuations. So I, yeah. did, I did allow you to talk about your favorite, one of your favorite pitchers, even if it wasn't Marco Estrada off the bat. So, you know, take it away, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sun Huang Oh, I loved the signing. Absolutely loved it. I think that we're talking about a guy who was one of the very best relievers in baseball in 2016, and then he sucked last year. He's 5'10", 205, 35 years old, righty. His stuff, aside from his changeup, stayed exactly the same. He just wasn't locating it as well. And then, you know, the changeup thing hurt him. Lefties hit him very well, but that's a very fixable pitch. It's all about feel, and it's, they worked on it in spring, and it looked way better. I think that he has the upside. Mr. Final Boss Stone Buddha. Cheaters stealing two great nicknames. <laughs> to be an absolutely elite reliever again and a huge part in the eighth inning for this bullpen. Agreed. I, the, the one thing I'd, I'd bring up is I know his deal with the Texas Rangers fell through because of some type of health issue. Let's just keep our fingers crossed that that's not a big thing that's going to sidetrack his season this year um, because if it isn't then I think everything Josh is saying is true and the Jays got a pretty great uh, reliever on a pretty great deal I think having people who can set up Roberto Osuna or close their own game if the situation warrants it is probably you know just as big a deal as as having any specific guy maybe oh, I don't know, sending Joe Biagini to AAA, which is sort of what the O signing did as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think the whole bullpen dynamic changes when you've got a guy who you think you can count on um, in the eighth inning because he's got a track record there. Yeah. Do I, do I get to talk about Roberto now? <laughs> yeah. Again, rigged. Every yeah. year, rigged. <laughs> Roberto <laughs> Osuna, six foot two, 215 pounds. I think he... That fluctuates a lot, I think, for Roberto, but we'll go with 215. He's 23 years old, um, and that that puts him, shockingly, um, seven years younger than all of his bullpen compatriots. Wow. Yeah, at least seven years younger. Um, Roberto has shown signs that maybe something is not 100% right in that arm, and that does make me nervous. We know Dr. Mike Sun, who writes for us at BP Toronto, has many times brought up that he's had a whole lot of stress on his arm. Um, But nevertheless, he is 
probably the Blue Jays' best closer since Dwayne Ward or, or Tom Hankey in terms of longevity and consistency. And it's a pleasure to know that he's going out there opening day and, and healthy as far as we know. Now, Josh, bring me back down to earth. <laughs> well, as I mentioned a few times, and by the way, it looks like you stole Nick's the thing here. <laughs> do, a, do, a, do a stealth edit there on the list. Yeah, but uh, I want to see what he looks like in his first time out once the once the games really start going because his velocity was a big issue. I mean, he was still really, really, really good last year, but you know, if it keeps staying down, it just gives more threat to that injury that you talked about with Mike Son and the fatigue and all that. So that'll be something to watch for. But I actually still have really, really high hopes for us, you know. So I'm not here to bring you down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think ultimately last year kind of showed that. Osuna can pitch really effectively with the diminished velocity. Um, you know, his strikeout rate was up. His walk rate was down. He got more ground balls. Uh, he was a really good pitcher, even though uh, his ERA was a little bit inflated. And that, I think, was even had to do more with bad luck than, than poor mm-hmm. performance. So as long as he's healthy, uh, you know, God bless him if he's pitching at, at 94 instead of 97. All right, Nick. Because I, he's awesome. I... <laughs> Awesome, yeah. Osuna. I will give you uh, the last for sure member of the bullpen. All right. So the last member of the bullpen that we're going to talk about for sure, member of the bullpen we're going to talk about is Ryan Tapera. He's right-handed and he's six foot two. He weighs 195 pounds and he will be 30 this season. Uh, Ryan Tapera had a very solid year uh, in 2017 with the Jays. Um, and he was one of the more dependable options, uh, at the back end of the bullpen. And he was leaned on very heavily by John Gibbons. He threw a lot. And, uh, hopefully this season with the additions of Tyler Clifford and Seng Wang O that, uh, he won't have to pitch as much because Tapera did appear to tire towards the end of last season as any human who would have had to throw that much would do. So, uh, if Ryan Tapera can be kind of keep fresh, he could be a, a, another dependable arm for the Jays this year in the pen. Yeah, he was the, right at the top of Mike's son's fatigue unit list. So, yeah, I mean, but thankfully, like you mentioned, with Axford, Clippard, O, and Osuna, that's four righties you could use ahead of him if you need to. So, You know there's probably some fatigue factoring in when you feel bad for a guy when he gets called on in a game. And both Ryan Tapera and Danny Barnes, I reached that point late last season. Like, oh, he's got to go to Tapera again. Man, I oh, it must. He must hurt. <laughs> um, you know, even if he's healthy, it seems like he must hurt at this point because I just saw him <laughs> yesterday for two innings. Like, ah. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope he doesn't run out of gas this year because he's he's got some other people uh, who are you know, maybe ahead of him on the depth chart. Now this whole two, 25 guys at two minutes each kind of falls apart because we have to get to two and a half more people who are going to be factors on this roster, potentially. Um, first one, Josh? Well, I mean, we, should, we have to discuss them all together because it doesn't work doing it one at a time. All right. The whole thing is, you mentioned Danny Barnes, the guy who was worked <laughs> to death and actually got injured at the end of last year. Well, as you talked about, Aaron Loop was the token lefty there. Yes, Tapera and Clippard can get lefties out, but John Gibbons has been on record saying he wants, he would like another lefty in the pen. And I think there's a very real chance that Danny Barnes, 6'1 to 195, 20 years old, could lose his spot to my boy, Timmy Meza. My, him and O, my, le- my lefty-righty bullpen guys. <laughs> I, I think there's a real chance. Meza had a way better spring, and Barnes looked awful. 
So with options, I could see him going down. Great. So I was going to ask Josh, as, as the Mesa guy, I was kind of uh, scouting the stat line earlier, and he's his strikeout numbers seem to be all over the place. He got like his K nine was like 11 in double a, then it dropped to like below eight in triple a. And then it was like 14 in his limited 14 Ks per nine in his limited major league work last year. What's what's going on? Well, I mean, it's small samples is essentially what's going on there. He has the stuff to miss bats and he has done it consistently. So I think that any projection of him, I mean, he only threw 11, 11 innings or no, 11 games in, in Buffalo last year. So I think that every level up that he's been nine or higher. So he's going to be a strikeout guy. It's just whether the other stuff is there, the control and limiting the power. And then the third guy we're talking about is the six foot five, 240 pound. Doesn't even seem right. Joe Biagini, <laughs> uh, who's 27 years old. He kind of splits the difference between those two guys in age. He's, Got a lot of innings at the major league level under his belt, but the Blue Jays are, I guess they have the luxury of trying to decide what to do with him at this point. They're going to start with him in AAA. Are they officially stretching him out? Well, nothing has been said officially. They haven't actually set the roster yet, which is why we're having this discussion right now. We, sorry, we leave this podcast. It does not matter how late we leave it. We never have the 25-man <laughs> roster. <when we're... laughs> I know, it's crazy. But what is it, 18 hours before point... they play? <laughs> yeah. All signs point to him being in the minors. It just doesn't make any sense, as we talked about last podcast, to have him in the big leagues. They don't need another right-hander. Yeah. And they really don't need a right-hander in the rotation, which is where we thought he might end up before they signed Garcia. Yeah, and they need the depth in case someone gets hurt. Fair enough. So who is your money on, Josh? Well, okay, I'll do you next first. Who do you see in the, that last 25th spot, Barnes or Mesa? You know what? Can I say be a genie? Unless we know, yep. unless we know that he, he hasn't made the team, because I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past. John Gibbons likes the guys that can go more than one inning. So I'm going to guess be a genie makes the team. And your bet, Josh? For the same reason, I think it still probably will be Barnes. Although I'm so I'm almost right 50-50 on here because of Gibbons' comments about potentially wanting a lefty. Barnes is also a multiple inning reliever and one who can't start. So Barnes. I will take uh Tim Meza and I will uh I will buy both of you gentlemen a a hamburger. No, I will buy you some one of those sausages that they sell outside. <laughs> what gate is it you like, Josh? <laughs> gate ten. Gate 10, Would we, all, we all bet uh, a, a free lunch outside Gate 10 at some point um, for each of our candidates making the, the opening day roster. Are you willing to take that bet, Nick? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll take that bet. All right. So Do I, it. I, I just I, want to eat a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> but will it be a free hot dog is the real question. All right, so I will open this up because we have a few minutes left until our usual sort of podcast wrap-up time. Do you have a thought on this the eve of the 2018 season uh, that people can take home with them, Nick? Um, just kind of jumping off what we we're talking about there at the end, uh, I, I do I do think the fact that we're talking about whether or not Joe Biagini is going to make this team really does speak to the the depth that uh, the front office has built over over the last season. Um, you know, through the signings of guys like O and Axford and Clippard uh, to the development of some of the younger players in the system. And I think uh, I think we're going to see that 
that really is going to make a difference uh, on the field in, in 2018, and we're going to get to watch a, a better team. Josh? Yeah, taking it to the, the more current and short term, I think that this upcoming series, four-gamer with the Yankees, is going to show a lot. Not about it's not going to mean anything in terms of what the team is, but it will, I think, mean a lot in terms of what people are willing to pay to see. So I think if they get blown out in this opening series, the ticket sales in April are not going to be pretty. I'm going to one of you went, you know, sort of the long way. I'm going to go the super long way. I'm going to say at the very worst, Vlad Jr. is still going to be a Blue Jay. <laughs> Thank you. Someone needed to mention that. <laughs> that was pure magic in Montreal since, uh, yeah, everything. Wearing his dad's number, swinging like his dad, popping home runs. Uh, how, how I loved you... Bo Bichette jumping around like a crazy person. <laughs> that home run. He was just so excited. Yeah, he got more air than maybe Kendris Morales did when he broke his ankle. Um, yeah, Joe there, Carter Stiles. There is... Uh, there's nothing more fun than a walk-off uh, with two outs in the ninth, hitting a home run. Just mild, magic piled upon magic. So just know that somewhere out there, Vlad Guerrero is trying his darndest to make this big league team. And uh, and when he does make it, I think it's going to be pretty special. If nothing else happens good this year, uh, Vlad gets one year closer to the big leagues. That right. said, we have arrived... At the end of the 25 and 50, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you we brought you up to speed. Uh, I, of course, have to say at this point that you have been Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka and Joshua Hausam at Joshua Hausam. And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 94. And we will talk to you about real baseball games next week. We got one thing on the mind.